the Laps Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode, this has to be 189 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today we have, once again, a boatload of lacrosse to talk about. We have Duke and Denver, Penn and Georgetown, Hopkins and Loyola, Carolina and Ohio State, Rutgers Army, Colgate Air Force, Yale, Villanova, Notre Dame, Detroit Mercy, Tau- I could go on and on and on, but we're going to talk about all of those games with highlights so make sure that you uh, you pay attention, you watch through like the first 20 minutes of this because we're going to talk about all of those games right through North Carolina, all with highlights. As always, you can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way. So we have swag up on the website. We're also going to start uh, pre-selling our new Lax Factor shorts. We're going to have a line of signature shorts that we have coming out here. We should have pictures of those and have those up on the website by uh, early this week, I would presume. So be sure to go to laxfactor.com and check in there. And then you can listen and watch You know wherever, wherever you get podcasts where video the video podcast is available on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, and on Spotify, and then audio wherever you get podcasts. So just be sure to like and subscribe, though, if you happen to be watching this on YouTube right now. And that's it. I'm going to shut the hell up, and we're going to get into this and talk about our first game, Duke and Denver. It uh, started out kind of a dogfight here, as we as you're going to see highlights rolling, but as we kind of go through the box score, Duke struck first, they jump out to a 3-1 lead, Curtis Riley ends up tying things up, three up, and then Denver kind of goes on a little bit of a run here where Silstrop, J.J. Silstrop, has looked very good so far this year for Denver. He, he gives them a 4-3 lead and then a 5-3 lead prior to Dyson Williams, answering back for Duke, getting Duke back within one, and then Charlie O'Connor gets a a fortuitous bounce, as you would say, and then he sticks one home, giving Duke a 5-5, well, not giving Duke anything, tying the game up 5-5, and then the the second quarter, Nakai Montgomery scores, Cameron Moulet scores, and it, it kind of, Duke starts to slow burn to victory from there, and in the end, 19-10 is the final tally for Duke, as we look at this, one of the big stories of this game here, as we look at Denver's statistics first, uh, is just the shooting woes of Jack Hanna. As I come down here and I try to find him on the on the score sheet here, you look at that. 11 shots on cage, no goals. Right now, Jack Hanna has a bad case of the yips, and he could not hit water if he fell out of a fucking boat. As they say, I do think he's going to put this together. Jack Hanna, hands down, one of the best midfielders in the country, one of the most physically imposing midfielders in the country, and a great kid overall. So he, he this happened to him last year as well, and I keep talking about it. Denver's going to go as far as Jack is going to be able to carry them. Last season, he shot the ball poorly in the beginning of the season before finally putting it all together and shooting the ball really well through the rest of the season, you know, somewhere in the area of 30%. So he'll he'll get it put together, but right now Jack Hanna is struggling. You can actually see in this game the frustration starting to bleed through a little bit, so I feel for the kid because he's a hell of a lacrosse player and a hell of a kid, Jungle Jack Hanna, but he'll he'll get it together. So, But th- that's the, the moral of the story in this game is Simmons didn't shoot the ball great, one of four shooting. Hanna shot the ball terrible, and Duke ends up slow burning. I think Duke wins this game even if Hanna – shoots the ball better and puts in three of 11, Duke still wins this game. It just might be a little bit closer. You know, instead of seeing, you know, this separation over these two quarters here, I think it's a little bit less than that. And I think maybe Duke wins this game, let's say 
15 to 12 or 16 to 13 or 16 to 12 or something like that. But with Jack Hanna's shooting struggles still in full force here, that's that's the outcome in the end of this game. As we look down at the Duke stats, though, well, once again, let me just say, J.J. Silstrop has been incredible. Five and one on the day for him off six shots. So Silstrop, you can't say enough good things about him. And then let's see what they, Denver did for cause turnovers. Not much here. Malik Sparrow, you know, one ground ball. He was quiet. Duke kind of neutralized everybody here after that, you know, as, as they got into that second quarter stretch. Now, if we look at Duke here, Brennan O'Neill back in scoring a buttload of points, four and two on the day for him, six points. Dyson Williams right now, Duke's leading scorer, four and two on the day with six points. Both of them very efficient. Nine shots for O'Neill, six shots for Williams. So both did a great job. No turnovers for either of these guys either. Williams isn't prone to turnovers because he doesn't carry the ball a whole lot, but still. That's excellent to see out of them. Nakai Montgomery had a hell of a day, three goals and a helper with just one turnover, and then he got that back by forcing one. And Sean Lully, two and two. Joe Robertson, two and one. I mean, McAdory, the freshman, zero oh and one. Aiden Denenza, one and zero. Oh. So it just goes right down the roster. The depth of scoring for Duke, the depth of offensive talent for Duke is off the chain. And then. I think one thing that we're kind of seeing here is defensively, specifically Duke, I think this is true for, I think this is true for Virginia. Defensively, they're not terrible. They're not as good as they were last year. Either of them are. Neither of them are. And I think that you're seeing they're a little bit streaky defensively. You know, Duke drops the game to Jacksonville earlier in the week, didn't put it together offensively or defensively in that one. But in this game, they start out playing a little shaky defensively. Denver comes out playing well offensively, and Duke finally got it together. And we're going to see that as we talk about the Virginia game later on in the episode against Towson. We see, we've seen Virginia kind of start slow offensively at times, but also defensively at times, as you'll see in the Towson game later. So I think you're going to see a trend with that in the ACC. Carolina's defense is just atrocious. Duke and Virginia's defenses are solid, but streaky. And I think that you're going to see Notre Dame's defense be one of the more solid. And I think even Notre Dame's defense will be down a little bit. But the moral of this story, everybody pretty much played well. Uh, uh, Mike Adler, he won the goalie battle to a degree here. We got 14 saves versus 19 goals against for Jack Thompson. So that wasn't good enough, obviously, but Duke was just an, you know, it was an onslaught that he faced the whole game, but Adler 10 saves against nine goals against. So he looked pretty good. And then Jake Naso won 16 to 28 faceoffs against a very capable Stathakis for Denver, Alex Stathakis. So he goes 16 of 28 versus Stathakis going 13 of 30. So that's kind of your 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 separation here. We had one goalie play better. We had the one faceoff guy play considerably better, and the outcome of that game shows it in the end. So Duke, hell of a team. Don't let that Jacksonville loss fool you, as we all say in the in the lacrosse media industry here. Duke is always going to lose a game early. They're always good for losing a game in February because these are their scrimmages in essence. And uh, that that loss to Jacksonville was was just that. It was just their their playing playing poorly in one game and the other team playing a hell of a game. As uh, as Galloway said, they had to play crazy or insane or something like that, and they did. So moral of the story: Duke, as I predicted, they do not lose two in a row, and they beat Denver nineteen to ten. Let's get into the next game I want to talk about. And this was one of the games of the day. I expected this to be a good game, albeit I thought Georgetown might win by a slightly larger margin just because they're, they've already been playing and Penn hadn't played in like two and a half years. But I think we're finally seeing 
the all of the hype surrounding Georgetown over the last five years or so, where they do really well in their out of conference play, but just can't pull it together. You know, playing in that Big East game against Denver, and they just didn't get out of the the Big East all those years. I think now Georgetown is finally here and totally legit. They jump out to a five-two lead. Penn gets it. You know, Penn kind of squeaks back. And they tried to tighten it up here and there, and they did do that. And then it kind of got away from Penn here as we kind of go through the score. We'll see. Uh, Georgetown gets out to a 5-2 lead. Penn gets back within two. 6-3, Penn gets back within two. Uh, and then Georgetown kind of extended it 8-4 here about you know a little bit early into the third before Penn once again gets it back to two, back to three, back to two. And then Dylan Gregar or Gergar, for Penn. He scores a goal to make it 9-8 with 2.33 left. As I was watching this game, I was like, oh, snap. Here we go. We might have another a, a really solid finish here. Maybe Penn can tie it up, force overtime, and win this game. Not so fast because within about, what, 34, 35 seconds later, Georgetown scores. Connor Marin scores again, and uh, they end up winning this game 10-8. to It was a hell of a game overall. As we look at the individual stats, I want to jump right down to McElroy. 11 saves versus 8 goals against. He had a hell of a day in cage, especially early, making a bunch of really nice saves that kind of allowed Georgetown to get that early 5-2 lead. So credit to McElroy. He played a great game overall. And then Penn got roached. At the faceoff dot, as we see here, 8 of 22 against 14 of 22 here out of James Riley for Georgetown. So he had a hell of a day. And then Graham Bundy Jr., 2 and 2. The, the scoring was really spread out for both of these teams. Graham Bundy Jr., 2 and 2. Connor Marin, 2 and 1. Dylan Watson, 2 and 0. Oh. So they spread it out pretty well. Uh, and neither team shot the ball incredibly well overall. But I want to say the story of the day here is Will Bowen ended up drawing Sam Handley here. And Bowen ends up causing four turnovers on the day. He limited Handley incredibly well. And even where Handley got shots, that's where McElroy came in and made some saves. So Handley ends up getting nine shots off. He goes one and two. Uh, and Handley, make no bones about this. He's listed as a midfielder, or at least was in this game. He played almost the entire game at attack, though. This kid is an absolute beast, a big dude. And Bowen handled him insanely well all day long. So, I mean, we have Gibson Smith also here on this defense. I mean, this this Georgetown defense is loaded top to bottom. Even their short stick D mids are excellent. But I think the story of the day was that matchup between Hanley and Bowen and Bowen winning that battle overall. Four cause turnovers, just one turnover himself, two GBs. I mean, that's a hell of a game for Bowen against a very tough assignment. So the the return of the Ivies, we're all glad to see the Ivies playing again here. But in this in today it was it was G Town getting a huge win over a top ten opponent. And I think Penn Penn has Duke next. And I think you're gonna see Penn play Duke tough as well. And that'll start giving us an idea of where these upper echelon teams all sit against each other also. So overall Great game to watch. It was, you know, every every game this weekend that was played on the east, you know, the east coast, northern section of the east coast. Uh, all of us, all of the Yankee games, as you could call them, pretty much great games in terrible weather conditions, cold, windy, blustery. We saw some whiteouts in the Yale game, but this one, probably my favorite game of the day, was this one here. Uh, so let's move. All right, no, 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 that's not true. The next game that I'm going to talk about is going to be my favorite game of the day here. And it was Loyola Hopkins. This was a hell of a game. As you kind of see here, Loyola and Hopkins, they stayed level through 
all they stayed level through the whole game, but I mean it was six up at the end of the half. And as we kind of rip through the scoring here, Loyola jumps out to the early lead, 2-1. Hopkins then kind of jumps back. They take the lead, 3-2, off a Garrett Degnan goal. Kevin Lindley scored early for Loyola. And then, once again, Loyola then jumps back. I mean, the, the number of lead changes in this game were pretty incredible. And at one point, I'm like, ah, man, Loyola might kind of run, not run away with this, but Loyola, I thought, looked like they might be taking control of the game as Kevin Lindley scores with 11.09 left in the second, and then Joey Kamish scores with 5.56 left in the second. But once again, boom, boom, Hopkins scores two quick goals, Owen McManus and Jonathan Peshko, guys that you don't really hear too much about, but all of a sudden it's tied up 6-6 going into the half. And then once again, we end up seeing Loyola jump out to a 10-8 lead with 10.06 left. Seth Higgins assisted by Kevin Lindley. And we Hopkins ended up needing to kind of buckle down, play solid defense through the rest of the game. We saw Kersan play decent in cage for Hopkins. The, the Hopkins goalie situation has been shaky over the years, but Hopkins ends up scoring three unanswered. Ryan Evans strikes first, 9-15 left in the fourth. Joey Epstein sticks one, a man-up goal from Jack Keogh with uh, uh, six minutes and 47 seconds left in the fourth, making it 10 up. And then we see Scott Smith score the game winner with 5-22 left. Excellent game overall, and uh, just a boatload of lead changes. Once again, blustery weather, lots of fans. The Hopkins band is back, so we're all happy about that. For Loyola, Joey Kamish, man, four goals, had a hell of a game off six shots. Excellent game for him. Aiden Olmstead didn't get on the scoreboard in terms of goals, but he puts up four helpers. Kevin Lindley, two and one. So they played pretty solid here from the faceoff dot. Bailey Savio rebounded and had a, had a, had himself a solid game, 12 of 21. They needed that out of him to be able to stay in this because if he had gotten roached as he has been getting roached overall, this game isn't nearly as close as it ends up being. And then if we jump down here and we look at Hopkins, Epstein, 2 and 3. I'm so happy to see the reemergence of Joey Epstein, Jack Keough, 0-2. And, and you just kind of look at the scoring. Hopkins just spread it out here. We go all the way down here to Jonathan Peshko with a goal. A bunch of one-point scorers, though, and that, and that's exactly what Hopkins wants to see here is they want to see uh, a depth in scoring, and then they just need a little bit more out of Connor Simone and Epstein, a little more consistency out of those two guys. I'd like to see Jack Keogh score a few more points here as well. But, you know, hey, Tyler Dunn didn't have a bad day, 9 of 20, so they kind of kept pace. But in the end, the first this is the first game so far that Loyola has come out on the better end of the faceoff dot battle and then if we go down and we see the goalie play here see Josh Kersan 14 saves 10 goals against so he got it done in the cage and Loyola's goalie situation is is not much better than their faceoff situation had been early on and and both goalies that played played pretty much terribly but it's uh, Luke Stock getting the loss in net overall hell of a game here and uh you know what more can you ask for here in a in a, in a crosstown battle Loyola against Johns Hopkins next up now, this one surprised the hell out of me, and I think it surprised the hell out of a lot of people. I, I thought this was going to be a decent game. I did not see the wheels coming off for anyone other than Ohio State. I thought Ohio State would end up, if anyone was going to get beat by 12 goals, I thought it was going to be Ohio State. Not so. And it ends up being tight. Ohio State holds a 6-5 lead at the half. And as we kind of come down here and we see you know, UNC, they jump out to the 2-1 lead. Ohio State takes it back. Carolina ties it. Ohio State jumps up to a two-goal lead. 
And then they take a two-goal lead again off uh, Mitchell Peltke. Mitchell Peltke, he scores his first goal of the season here of YouTube fame. 6-4, but then Carolina gets one back. Jacob Kelly from Chris Gray with just four seconds left in the half. So I'm sitting here thinking, all right, this is okay. Carolina is going to come out in the second half, and they're probably going to go on a little bit of a run because we didn't really see a Carolina run at this point. It was a goal. Ohio State answered. A goal. Ohio State answers twice. A goal. Ohio State answers twice. There was no Carolina run like we're used to seeing, but it isn't Carolina who comes out and goes on a run in the third quarter. It was Jack Myers scoring first for Ohio State, then Jason Knox scoring again for Ohio State, then Greg Langermeyer scoring again for Ohio State, and they jump out to a 9-5 lead, and it never gets back within three goals again the rest of the game prior to Ohio State stringing together seven goals here over the course of the third, between 439 in the third and 950 in the fourth, Ohio State scores seven unanswered. And then it, it was just over from there. And it almost looked like Carolina gave up a little bit. You hate you hate to say that, but it legitimately, what else are you going to say when a team like Carolina ends up just the wheels come off completely and Ohio State goes from 11 to 7 with 439 left in the third to 20 to 8. So that's pretty incredible. Uh, great things for Ohio State here. As we look at the statistics, we get into the face-off battle, and it was absolutely dominated by Justin Inacio. That's one of the big factors here in this game. 18 of 26 for Inacio on the day, six ground balls, and it was a lot of pinch, put it between his legs, wings picking it up, wings picking it up, wings picking it up. But it was a hell of a day for Inacio dominating the face-off dot for Ohio State. And then in terms of scoring for Ohio State, we've got Myers, 2-7. and seven. Myers, and, I, and, and I'm surprised at that stat line overall because Myers, I mean, I, I think he's a pretty much a 50-50 guy, or I used to think he was. Anyway, 2-7 of seven for Myers, 3-1 and one for Kobe Smith. Jason Knox goes for four goals. I mean, and then you see beyond those guys, it was just filled in here. And the crazy part was in terms of goal scoring, initially, I think through their ninth goal, uh, after scoring their first nine goals, they had nine different goal st scorers, and none of them had, no one had more than two goals in the game. I forget who it was. I think it was Ari Allen ended up being the first uh, uh, goal scorer for Ohio State that had two. And then, you know, see a bunch of guys filled it up here in the, the third and fourth quarters overall. But yeah, that's incredible. Your first nine goals, nine different guys score as you're starting to put North Carolina away. Credit to the Ohio State coaching staff and making sure they had a game plan that involved everyone and that worked for everyone. And Carolina had no answers overall. As we look at Carolina, not good enough here. Chris Gray, three and four. Of course, he's going to put up a bunch of points, but nobody else helped out. Solomon, two goals. Scherzinger, only a goal and an assist. So overall, not good enough. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of cause turnovers. There wasn't even a whole lot of turnovers. This was just one team had a hell of a lot more possessions than another than the other, and one team put a lot more in the back of the net. Another storyline here is Kate and Johnson. Both goalkeepers, you know, didn't play terrible, but Kate and Johnson, former UNC goalie, he was the ACC Rookie of the Year at one point. What three years ago? Twenty nineteen season, I think that may have been. 
and he ends up going for 12 saves against just eight goals against in this game. I'm surprised at how well the Ohio State defense played, though, in limiting quality looks for Carolina and quality looks on Cage because he only faced 20 shots on Cage. How? When was the last time Carolina only put 20 shots on Cage? I may have to look that stat up. Colin Krieg loses the goalie battle here. Krieg, the guy who beat uh, Kayton Johnson out for the starting position, resulting in Kayton Johnson's transfer to Ohio State. He puts up 15 saves against 20 goals against. It was He played solid in the first half. It was that second half where things started getting u- ugly, and it looked like that young defense just buckled. Because make no bones about it, Carolina's defense is very young in front of Krieg. Krieg, uh, Krieg is still a very solid goalie. He's th- th- This defense just has to kind of grow in front of him. So that's the story of that day, though. Bloodbath for Ohio State in the end, and no, I don't think very many people saw that coming. I don't think Ohio State... Uh, saw that coming, even though they're delighted that that is how it played out. Another excellent game here on the day was Rutgers and Army. And so far, I think out of the games here that we've talked about, I'm 100%. I, I felt like this was about the score that we were going to see, that Rutgers was going to edge Army in a close game. And it was pretty close. But as you see here, Rutgers end up jumping out to a 7-1 lead uh, with 11:22 left in the second quarter. Ronan Jacoby, tra- uh, D3 transfer, I think, right? I always forget where he played. Did he play at Wesleyan? I, I, I'm going to have to look it up and devote that to memory. But Ronan Jacoby is playing excellent for Rutgers right now. He's been a huge, huge piece of this offensive puzzle. And he ends up giving Rutgers a 7-1 lead. And he had, what, one, two, three. That was his fourth goal of the game with 11.22 left in the second to give Rutgers that 7-1 lead. But then, as always is going to be the case, Army, they are not going to be one to give up. They end up rattling off four straight goals to end the second quarter and to end the half. Uh, Philip Gunner, Brandon, Brandon Nick Turn, Aiden Burns, and Bo Waters, they get back within 7-5. to five, And then it kind of goes back and forth here. Rutgers extends the lead in the third. Army goes on another three-goal run to tie things up at eights prior to Ronan Jacoby and then Shane Knobloch. They give Rutgers a three-goal run that turns into a four-goal run at the beginning of the fourth after Ross Scott scores unassisted, 12-8 Rutgers, and that's pretty much all she wrote from there. The Army outscores them 2-1 to through the rest of the game, but 13-10 is your final. But listen, man, story of the day here for sure. Ronan Jacoby, six goals on the day off nine shots. This kid has been incredible for Rutgers. No turnovers. That's also excellent. Excellent. Brian Cameron, three and one. Uh, Ross Scott, one and two. Shane Knobloch looked great. Three goals for him. What do we have done at the faceoff dot? Jonathan Dugenio, 14 to 25. That's huge for Rutgers. That's pretty much without that, you don't win the game. So he slightly edges his Army counterparts winning 14 of 25, and uh, that's your ball game. And then we come down here to the goalkeeping battle. Wyatt Schupler did not have the game that I said he had to have. I figured Schupler was going to have to put up 17 saves to win this game. He goes for nine saves versus 13 goals against. Not good enough. And then Colin Kirst on the other side here, 15 saves versus 20 shots faced, uh, 25 shots faced in total. So Kirst has a ex- does an excellent job in cage. And between the faceoff uh, disparity and the save disparity, there's your ball game, 13-10 in favor of Rutgers. Next up, another really solid game, and I watched a little bit of this one. I watched a little bit of every game. The only games I watched the full game for was I watched almost all of Hopkins, and I watched the bulk of the Duke game until Duke started pulling away. Watched a bunch of the Virginia Towson game as well. 
But uh, Air Force and Colgate. Colgate so far, 1-2. and two. Air Force, 0-3, oh, oh but they've played some solid games thus far. This one, tied at the half, sixes. Or no, what, what am I talking about? I, I'm bad at basic math. Air Force led at the half as we kind of come down here and we see. They've got a 6-4 lead at the half. And then Colgate goes on a three-goal run over the third to take a 7-6 lead thanks to a Michael Minicus goal. I don't know how to pronounce that. Then Brendan Krause, he ends up scoring two more, gives Air Force the lead back again before Colgate finishes this game with a four-goal run. And the what eventual game winner was scored by Cor uh, Rory Connor for Colgate with 5.02 left in the fourth. That gave Colgate a 9-8 lead, and then they scored two more to put it away. Solid game overall, though. For Air Force leading scorer, Brendan Krause, he goes for five goals. Dodd ends up with three assists in this one, and he's primarily a goal scorer, so that's pretty good for Dodd. But as we look at Colgate, Brian Minicus, uh, that's what we're going to say. Brian Minicus, two and six for eight points off with 13 shots. Did not find the back of the net all that effectively, but luckily he was also distributing the ball, so he looked great in this one. Rory Connor, three and one. We come down to the goalie battle here. Matt Lacombe ends up with 19 saves against eight goals against uh, Jason Rose. It's weird how some of them flip their names and the others don't. Jason Rose goes for 16 saves. So both goalies played incredible here. But Colgate, Matt Lacombe for Colgate, is really the, the X factor in this and the reason that they won this game in all. He, he makes 19 saves versus uh, eight goals against. So that's a hell of a statistic for him. And then at the faceoff dot for Colgate here, uh, Thomas Colucci, he goes 17 to 20. Boom. So our, uh, so once again, though, Air Force, despite the faceoff disparity, despite the goalkeeping disparity in terms of Lacombe having uh, 19 saves, Air Force still hangs tough in this one, but it's not enough. Colgate ends up pulling it out by the end. And then we, once again, another Ivy playing. And once again, Villanova and Yale usually start the season like this. It's usually Villanova has a game under their belt. Yale doesn't. And we saw Villanova play tough. We see Villanova with a lead 8-7 at the half, but then a 9-1 third quarter out of Yale. Yale comes out of the gates absolutely screaming. Wait a minute. Am I wrong here? See, I'm getting screwed up by these. Villanova. Okay, so yeah, Yale jumps out to a six-two lead. Villanova has a returns the favor, goes six, uh, outscores them six-one in the second. So that's where Villanova did end up coming back and tying things up six-six, and then taking a eight-seven lead at the half. But then yeah, you look at this run here by Yale: three-goal run to start the third quarter. Thomas Bragg, Luke Eschbach, and Jack Monfort. Gives Yale a 10-8 lead. Villanova gets one back, gets back within 10-9. And then Yale goes just on another scoring quest here. Brandau looked great all day long. And so it ended up being solid, but at one point Yale did hold a 17-11 lead before giving up three unanswered to finish the game, making this look a little bit more respectable than it was. The, the weather conditions were absolutely atrocious, just like the scoring spurts were insane. As we look at the scoring for Yale... Matt Brandau, 5-1 on the day, off nine shots with no turnover, so he had a great day. Will Cabrera, 2-2. Two two. Leo Johnson, 3-0. Leo Johnson's a young lefty attackman. He looked pretty good on the day. So you see Yale kind of filled it out, got a lot of scoring, got a lot of depth out of here. In terms of the faceoff dot, 17-34, we're pretty split, dead even on the faceoff dot. Justin Capola going 16-31. of 31. 
And then Yale kind of faced off by mid, uh, committee. Rodriguez and Ramsey kind of split them to go 17 to 34. So face off dot split evenly right down the middle. Jack Starr not getting the starting spot. Starr's been at Yale forever. I believe Starr was, won a national championship in cage for Yale many years ago. Still there, oddly enough, if I'm, if I'm correct here. But uh, he did not get the start. Jared Paquetti, or Paquette, I think his name is pronounced, he gets the start. Nine saves against 14 goals against. Not great, but good enough in this game. High-scoring game in terrible weather conditions. Good enough to get them the W. And let's see here. What did Villanova do for scoring? Luke Keating, 2-3. and three. Matt Campbell, 3-1. and one. So that's not too bad. And then defensively, this uh, – what is – is he a – trying to find out what the Stusen guy is here. Sophomore defenseman. Uh, 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 doesn't say what position he is specifically. Yeah, defenseman. He ends up with five cause turnovers in this one, which is actually a pretty bonker statistic. Let me get back down to there. Yeah, so Jack Stusen, five cause turnovers on the day, five GBs and a goal. So this kid, sophomore defender for Yale, had a hell of a game. They needed that out of him badly, and he gave it to him. Chris Fake did not factor very much here, but uh, that's it. That's the moral of the story for that one. Yale gets to win, very tough win, but they kind of put it away, even though it looked more respectable by the end. Uh, Notre Dame. We saw Notre Dame play. They're back in action. 24-2 over Detroit Mercy. Detroit Mercy did not look very good at all. The freaking Kavanaugh brothers here. Pat goes 4-4 four and four on the day off 100% shooting, which does not make any sense. Because it's, well, yeah, well, maybe he did. Maybe he only took four shots and scored all of them. So four and four for him, eight points. Chris Kavanaugh, the younger brother, he goes four and two off seven shots. Bryce Walker, Eric Dobson, the big-ass midfielder, one and two. You see a trend developing with Notre Dame and big-ass midfielders running around on the field. So Notre Dame just went all the way down their roster, putting points up like crazy. In terms of goalies, Liam Entman, nine saves against just two goals against, did not see a whole hell of a lot of action at the faceoff dot, which is a big question mark for Notre Dame. Will Lynch goes 11 of 16. Colin Hagstrom goes seven of eight. So they got two faceoff guys that once again put some numbers up here. They lost their faceoff guys to graduation because they had the two-headed monster last year that was absolutely ridiculous. So at least against Detroit Mercy, things were looking really good for Notre Dame. That's going to be something to watch out of them all season long. And then I just wanted to see some cause turnovers. What did we get here? Chris Cavanaugh on the ride. He forces two turnovers. And what our defensemen do? Barely anything because they got barely any action. So in the end, hell of a game for Notre Dame, putting it on a, an inferior opponent. But that, that happens early in seasons mostly. Virginia and Towson. This one was interesting because when I finally got this game to play, uh, Towson was winning by like 3-1, three, 4-1 three, one, one or something like that. So Towson kind of jumped out early and played really tough. The Virginia defense was struggling. The Virginia offense was struggling. In the end, though, Virginia puts it together. They end up winning 18-9 to nine in this one to improve to 3-0. and oh. Towson drops to 1-2. and two. Peyton Cormier, 4-2. and two. Connor Schellenberger, 2-3. Jack Simmons, 4-0. and oh. Xander Dixon, who has looked incredible so far for Virginia, 2-2. Two and two. Goes all the way down here. They ended up getting a bunch of scoring. Petey fucking LaSala scored a goal early. And it was actually, I think, may, it may have been Dixon scored a quick stick to, to kind of 
uh, start the run. And then PD LaSala scored a goal off a faceoff. Might it not even have been off the faceoff. I can't remember, but LaSala ends up scoring. And then that Virginia run started and they end up putting this game away. Uh, let's see what LaSala, goalie battle wise, was not looking good for Noons early, but he regrouped seven goals against. He ends up making six saves on the day. They didn't, they, the defense clamped down and they didn't give Townsend a whole lot of looks after that second half break. Shane Brennan played solid in cage overall for Townsend, 14 saves against 17 goals against. And at the faceoff dot, not the best day for LaSala, 12 of 22. He does win. More than half, though, 50, 55%, six GBs, and a goal. So once again, those goals really, really help when you're not winning more than 50% or, or, or just a touch over 50% of your draws. Uh, Braun, Gable Braun comes in, though, and, and is capable in, in trying to kind of help as LaSala was struggling. Braun comes in, goes five of eight on the day. So that's your story. But hey, credit to Shane Santora because he actually did, did, did battle with LaSala, who's one of the best faceoff guys in the country overall. So it, it's the outcome we expected, though. I figured Virginia was going to win in a route, and they did end up routing them. Jacksonville. I thought Jacksonville would put Marquette away a little bit more than this. I think there may have been a little bit of playing down involved here. I think Marquette's only win is against Bellarmine, so nothing nothing special there. But, they, hey, they win 14-10. They're 3-1 and one now with a win against Duke, so you can't beat that. Max Walbaum, 3-1 and one for uh, Jacksonville, the transfer um, from where did he come from? Tufts. Jack Dolan, 2-1. And, and once again, you can see they spread it out completely here in this win. Marquette, way less depth in their scoring. Luke Blanc goes 2-1 and one to lead them. In terms of the goalie battle, and this has been a story. Whoa, look at this. Ryan Delarocca, 10 saves against 4 goals against. Luke Milliken, 4 saves against 6 goals against. So De La Roca ends up, uh, or De La Roca ends up being the big cat here on this day. And then not much out of Alieri for Marquette. And then at the faceoff dot, Nathan Knapp, they split him, they split it pretty much. He wins 50% of his draws, and then uh, Marquette splits it with him beyond that. So overall, good game for Jacksonville. They improved to three and one. And who do they have coming up next here? Jacksonville has Denver at Denver next. So this that'll be a big game to watch here next weekend. Is can Jacksonville get a win against Duke? They play Hopkins close. They beat Duke, beat up Mercer one out against Marquette. Now they've got Denver, Air Force, and Utah. Uh, they're at Denver and at Air Force next week. Back-to-back -back games. They play on the 26th and the 27th. So they'll be happy if they come out of it one and one. I don't know that that's the case anymore, though. After beating Duke and playing Hopkins as tough as they did, I like their chances against Denver here, unless Jungle Jack Hanna for Denver can put it together and put up three or four goals in that game. That's my prediction, though. If Jack Hanna scores four, uh, three goals even in that game, I think Denver beats uh, Jacksonville. If Jack Hanna's shooting struggles continue then probably Jacksonville is going to be able to pull out a win on the road at Denver. And then I think even playing back-to-back, -back, I think they'll probably be Air Force. And I'm only talking about this one because it's kind of the Josh Zawada watch at this point. But Zawada against Holy Cross. Michigan, as expected, puts it on him 20-3. And Zawada goes 4-2 and two on the day, 6 points off 50% shooting. Bonomi, 3-2. and two. Mulholland, 2-2. Two and two. Ryan Cohen, 2-2. Two and two. So you see a bunch of guys score for um, Michigan. And that's all we'll say about this one is they beat the absolute hell out of Holy Cross. And Holy Cross looks like it's going to be a holy shit season for them all the way across the board. Michigan improves, though, to 3-0. and oh. 
so far with wins against Bellarmine, Detroit, Mercy, and Holy Cross. Now, this is always one of my gripes with Michigan and, and Ohio State. And, you know, over the last few years, they play nobody in terms of their out-of-conference schedule early. Canisius is up next, Cleveland State, Marquette, Delaware. Delaware will probably be the best team that they play up to that point in their season before they get to Notre Dame, Hopkins, Maryland, Penn State, Rutgers, Ohio State. So expect Maryland to have a really bloated record, a lot of lopsided victories up to the point that they get into this stretch against Delaware, Harvard, Notre Dame, maybe even Marquette. And then I think that you know they could easily be five and zero, six and zero. You could even say seven and zero, maybe even eight and zero up to this point. Maybe seven and one up to this point. But best believe this stretch of their schedule here against Notre Dame, Hopkins, Maryland, Penn State, Rutgers, and Ohio State is not going to go that way. Ohio, Penn State, man, they're terrible. So they will get to beat up on Penn State most likely. But that Big Ten schedule is going to put a, put the it's going to bring Michigan back down to reality. They're going to snap back to reality. As, as Eminem would say. More Ivy, Princeton, 22-6. to six. I just wanted to talk about this one because I hadn't looked at it at all yet. Chris Brown, goal-scoring threat. He goes 3-4 and four on the day off six shots. Excellent day for him. Christian Ronda, 5-1. and one. So they end up putting it on Monmouth. I was just curious to see who was going to be their leading scorer for Princeton. It ends up being Chris Brown. So the Ivies here continue to win games. Well, I guess they haven't won that many games because Penn lost. Yale and at least Princeton won games. This was a solid game, and I predicted Stony Brook was going to beat Robert Morris because I'm a bril- I have a brilliant mind and everything like that. Dylan Palinetti, 3-3 three and three on the day for six points. He had a hell of a game here. Corson Keeley for Robert Morris goes 6-0. and oh. Story of the day was that... Anthony Palma played much better in cage, 17 saves versus 14 goals against for Stony Brook versus Nate Randall, only having 11 saves versus 17 goals against. That's not going to get it done. And then Renz Conlon, he ends up winning the faceoff battle, goes 20 of 34 on the day. So that is the separation in this Stony Brook-Robert Morris game. But Stony Brook improves to 2-0, and and they've got St. John's next. So I think going into that Rutgers game, uh, on the 5th of March, they're going to be 3-0 and because I think Stony Brook's going to beat up on St. John's and they'll get to be 3-0 and heading into Rutgers, at which point I think they're going to get brought back down to earth again and Rutgers is probably going to beat Stony Brook. But watch that being a trap game for Rutgers here because Rutgers is probably going to be undefeated heading into that Stony Brook game as well. Feeling pretty good about themselves and Stony Brook is a solid, scrappy team for sure. Richmond beat up. And when I say beat up, I mean they beat up good on Marist, 18 to 4. It was actually kind of tight early on, and I was thinking, oh, Marist isn't looking too bad. The wheels came off here. Lanch Berry, 4 and 2. Dalton Young looked great, 4 and 2. And as we look at the goalie battle, um, Devin Craven, uh, he ends up going for 11 saves, four goals against. That's, you know, excellent for Craven here. And then at the faceoff dot, I think we saw, yeah, Jared Chinoy. I wanted to talk about that. 15 to 18 on the day for 83%. And then Nate Garlow, 5 of 7 for. Richmond. So Richmond put a complete game together. They played well defensively, offensively, in the cage at the faceoff dot. End result is Marist gets beat up badly, 18-4 by Richmond. And the big games today here, Syracuse-Maryland, I'm after by the time I finish cutting this up and you're watching this, I'm going to be watching the Syracuse and Maryland game. I'll probably put something up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, maybe a short video on YouTube just outlining this game. I might even do that later tonight. We'll see how that goes, but you know, that's pretty much it. There were some other decent games. Brown beat Quinnipiac. 
19, 13, Binghamton, they, those two got postponed. I guess this Boston U Bryant game was pretty solid. I didn't even watch it, so I'm not going to talk about it because I'm a moron. So that is it. I'm not going to talk about any more lacrosse. Uh, as, as Be sure to come back Thursday for the audio-only show. Wherever you get your podcast, the audio-only show will come out on Thursday, previewing next weekend's games. I think we have Syracuse-Virginia is going to be the big one for me next weekend. And um, and then, as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way, get swag. We have the short line that we're about to drop uh, here coming up this week, and so you can get some shorts. I don't know what we'll, what we'll be selling them for. It depends on our cost overall. Still trying to figure all that crap out, but the shorts are going to be sick for certain. And we have a bunch of other announcements that will come up. But like I said, come back Thursday, audio-only podcast, wherever you get your podcast to preview next weekend's games. Be sure to like, subscribe to this crap, share it with your friends, and uh, that's it, man. You'll see me on Instagram, Twitter, and crap like that when I put the Syracuse recap out later tonight or maybe tomorrow morning, and uh, I'm going to shut the hell up. Hoost is out. <laughs>